Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. You know, normally when I, uh, at Crosstown, I, I really do strive hard to communicate well to everybody. And I, I try to communicate for the God-hater, uh, the God-doubter, and the God-lover. And, and it's, um, no, really, uh, that's really what I do. It's a really tough thing that I, I try to accomplish in 30 minutes or less. But in the last couple of weeks, I really have felt an urgency from what we've discovered, thank you so much, Scott, what we've discovered from COVID and, and uh, race issues in America and how people are treating each other over this political uh, atmosphere that we're in. And the amount of fall off that we have seen from people not only attending church, but actually following after God. I really have felt an urgency to speak directly to the people of God. Um, and I, I've, I've never really have felt that before. I, I, I love science and rationality, and I love reason and working on cosmology and trying to defend our faith with, with good scientific information and, and good philosophy and all. And, um, but uh, it's kind of like the Lord has said to me, you won't need to do any of that anymore. And it's like, why? Why won't I need to provide a good argument? It's because society is going to provide its own argument that's going to thrust people into the question of the existence of God and reality in their lives. They're not going to have to be talked into it. They're going to be slid into it over the next six months. So as I began to listen to what God was saying to my own personal life in shifting me, it made me look at how we're building. And you know, we've been talking about building and, and being the priesthood of God and being framed together by God to be something that is alive in the world. And that's what God is doing. But I think we also need to be aware that the builder will always face constant force against the build. Um, I'm, I'm in the middle of a, a, a build on my GX470, a 2007. It's out there. It's, it's, a, it's a vehicle that I've converted. It's got a little bit of lift to it. It's got big tires. It's ready to go through the mud. And... But you know, the moment you start taking that thing through the mud, then the upper control arms begin to break and you find out that you gotta drop your transmission a little bit. And there's all this wear and tear that happens to a good build, whether you have a Jeep or whether you have a vehicle like that. Whenever we begin to build anything, there's words like oxidation, rot, rust, fractures, chemical breakdowns, fatigue. Um, Simon was rebuilding my back deck and we're putting the, the boards in place and I look at this amazing work that he's done and I'm just standing there with a cup of coffee feeling like, wow, look at this amazing deck. Knowing that immediately that there's a force at work on that deck that is going to begin to tear it apart. Knowing that the kind of metallic substance that was used for the screw against the brace is causing an electrical um, reaction that is going to begin to break down the very bracket that holds the railing on. You say, wow, that's a really depressing way to look at a, a deck that you just paid to have it. No, it's, it's part of it. We need to realize that there's fatigue uh, in the things that we build. You can, you can build and buy exactly what you want and immediately the clock is going against it. I have a rule. If you have a boat and it's five, almost five years old, you need to get rid of it. After five years, that foot in that little motor, that boat begins to develop problems at an exponential rate. I'm sorry, I, there are boat repair people that can fix that for you. I just realized we have some great people here that do that. But at five years, all of a sudden, all kinds of things begin to happen. Have you ever noticed when you go to uh, Best Buy to get a TV, and I'm a, I'm a TV addict, 
I have never cheated on my wife. Um, I, I, I'm faithful to my God as best as I can, but I will cheat on a large screen TV in a skinny minute. I mean, the next biggest, greatest thing that comes out, I'm at the store and I'm buying it. Nothing like an OLED TV. You out there, folks, you know what I'm talking about? You OLED people, you know what I'm saying? So I love it. The salesperson, you go up to them, you talk to them, and he talks you into this high-end TV. And he's boasting about the quality and, and its uh, capacities and its reputation and its performance and its quality of build. And no sooner than you agree, all right, I'll take that LG, you know, put it in the cart. And it's like, okay, we'll meet you up front. And while we walk you to the front, can I talk to you about an extended warranty? And, and I used to always think that this was a gimmick. I mean, and, and it probably is some level of gimmick involved. But you just talked me out of this TV into this TV because of reliability. Now that I jumped on reliability, as I'm walking there, you're trying to sell me a $400 warranty because, you know, not everything can be built real well. And, you know, this TV is going to break down. And really what the theme is, is that even the best built things in life need to be sold some sort of warranty because everybody knows they're eventually going to break down. And extended warranties, because, um, because we know there's something existing in the world, some sort of force, extended warranties exist because we know something's going to act on our stuff. You know, whether it's a house warranty, whether it's a car warranty, whether it's a TV warranty, why do we buy into it? Is it just gimmick? No, I don't think it is. I think it's because we all know, whether we use this word or not, we know that there's a force in the universe that's pressing against the good build of anybody's life or anybody's product, and it's called entropy. It may not be a word that you hear a lot in Bible Belt messages, but it is a real word. And as I get older and find myself in a place more often, I, I've kind of observed two forces that are at work against me against you, against America, against life, against nature itself. And take away the maybe lower influences of uh, devilishness or angels or goodness or, or even the power of sin in a person's life. You may not have called these forces by these names, but they are entropy and divine intentionality. That's what they are. They are entropy and divine intentionality. And these forces are working against our lives. We seem to be having a little bit of a computer problem, but don't worry. That's part of the plan. See, what's happening to our computer? It's a Mac, but Macs don't have problems. No, Macs have entropy just like everything else. Entropy and divine intentionality are the two biggest forces that will ever approach your life. So what's entropy? It's this. It is the loss of order or predictability. It is the gradual decline into disorder. And this isn't just a word that I came up with as a, as a philosopher. This is a science word. This is, this is a second law of thermodynamics. It is a real, I mean, it is so real, we call it a law of nature. It's what happens to your washing machine. And what happened to your dishwasher? You know when you bought that thing and it was chink, 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 chink. I mean, dishwasher, I mean, washing machines, I, 
have you guys watched what they do now these days? I mean, it used to be this chikung, 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 chikung. You think that would go on inside of Kenmore? Now they're kind of like. I mean, seriously, I'm just looking like, oh, my goodness, what is this thing doing? You know, I, mean, I feel like I need to bite a martini for crying out loud. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on inside that watch machine. But you know what? Pretty soon you begin to hear noises. Pretty soon you begin to, there's rubs. Pretty soon there's breaking belts. There's bearings that are going bad. And entropy begins to play against your, your dishwasher that just the warranty just expired on it. It happens in nature. We all know Niagara Fall, absolutely beautiful. I mean, absolutely grand and glorious. But do you know that it didn't always look like that? Here's an image of what it looked like over the years. See, entropy has had its effect. We could use the word erosion, but it's still part of the concept of entropy, is that over the years, back in 1678, it was in a, it was in a different location. But because of time, as water has flowed over it, as it's constantly moved over the edge of the Niagara Falls, it's begun to recede more and more and more and more. The fate of a sun-sized star turns to things what we call black dwarfs. The fate of a massive star becomes something that we call a supernova or maybe even a black hole. It happens to societies. And history is replete with empires that rose up on the face of the earth with greatness. And then 400 years later have just kind of slid into silence as they broke apart mostly from within and ended up being destroyed. Entropy happens to cognitive abilities and it happens to our biological lives. It's a part of a force that is in the universe. And regardless of how we build, invest, prepare, everything in our lives seems to be under the toe of this, this anthropic gravitational force. And I know right about now you're like, I am so glad I came to church. You know? Now, let me just say, this, this is all going to come around. But what we need to see is that in life, if there was no other force other than entropy, all hope would fall off or slide off the proverbial shelf into despair and crash to the ground. So enter Jesus. There's a story revealing this collision between divine intentionality and entropy in the life of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, it's... It has some very poignant observations that we need to hear today. I mean, really need to hear today. There were very few messages that I can say that I, I'm standing up here and I believe I heard from God to tell this message. But I, I also believe that I have heard from God to tell this message and it's not just for this crowd, but it's, it, it's what's happening now and it's, it's for what you should expect. And God wants his people to know it. In the book of Revelations, he wrote seven letters to the churches at the time because out of his kindness and his love, he wanted them to know, hey, you know, I want, I want to let you know how you're doing. You know, I want, to, I want to let you know about the entropy that's going on in the world around you and, and how to best prepare yourself for it. So we have a story of Jesus. And when you begin to think of it with that type of sobriety, you'll understand why certain things happen in this story. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. John chapter 11. Okay, weirdo, that sounds like opposites to me. I mean, look at it. Now Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. So when she found out that he was sick, she stayed, he stayed two more days before going to them. I love you, but I'm going to let you die. It really doesn't sound very godlike, does it? I mean, can you imagine if you called EMS and your, your spouse just had a heart attack and they said, okay, we're on our way, ma'am. And they went on a fishing trip and waited till they caught a certain amount of fish and they said, okay, I think we're gonna go ahead and respond to that emergency call. And by the way, when I get there, I wanna tell you something. I love you so much. I love you so much that I waited two more days before I arrived into this situation. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So, okay, so what's going on in Jesus' head? Um, earlier, Jesus said this to his disciples. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Through it. See, this isn't a statement about just Lazarus. This is, the, this is Jesus saying, I'm going to let you see entropy. And in the middle of entropy at its worst, I am going to let you see divine intentionality. But I'm going to let entropy happen so that you can see contrast in the photograph. So that you can see something different. See, we can begin to redeem the concept of God being loving if we begin to think that there's something bigger that can be accomplished or something bigger that needs to be seen other than somebody just being alive and somebody being dead. And I know for a lot of us, we have, an, we have a really hard time believing there's something more important than that. And Jesus knows that we have that problem. And Jesus knows they have that problem. Jesus is using this moment to distinguish the stark contrast between the power of natural entropy and divine intentionality. I mean, look at that verse again. Um, in this, this idea of conveying this awareness between what entropy does and what divine intentionality does and how imminent it is and how constant it is, the, the, the necessity to communicate it to this crowd Jesus is glad he wasn't there. Giddy. Translated from the original Greek. Giddy. He's like, oh man, I am so glad that they are in the middle of this anthropic moment. I'm glad I wasn't there to stop this. I'm glad I wasn't there so that you would miss this situation. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, isn't that our American Christianity? Lord, it's a force, and we would love you to stop the force on planet Earth. 
we really would like to see the end of entropy. We would like to be able to just continue life exactly the way that it is. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is so excited to communicate to you that God is not interested in continuing life the way it is on planet Earth. Now, that may scare you. And if that scares you, that reveals something about you and your concept of God and where you may be right now. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the day, in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, see, entropy's still gonna happen, yet shall he live. Divine intentionality will overcome. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I kind of rewrote my own version of that verse, so don't go home and do a Bible study on my version, but I wrote it this way. Do you, Martha? I mean, do you really believe that I am the resurrection? Do you really believe in the power of divine intentionality? Do you really believe that I have the ability uh, to overcome even entropy in the universe? Do you really believe? Because it sounds like to me, your version of believing is a form of avoiding. Let me just say, if you believe in resurrection, then you must believe in death. But you know what? We live in America. We want to believe in resurrection, and we don't want to believe in death. We want to believe in a God that helps us avoid every possible, everything that could go wrong. You know, that there's no way God's going to let America collapse. There's no way. We're a Christian nation. There's no way God's going to break up this is what we've got going here in America. All this technology and medicine and space travel. It's like, no, there's no way that's ever going to get broken up. And God is giddy. Wow. God is giddy. Jesus declares the second force that moves within the world, and it's called divine intentionality. Resurrection is the power of God to overcome entropy. And resurrection is not only the overpowering of it, but the eternal removal of it. And then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time you know there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. I love what the King James Version says. Lord, you know that he surely stinketh. Why would we be told about the odor? It's because entropy has a fragrance that affects all of our lives. You can smell it when something's going bad. You can smell entropy. Like fish. You can smell when fish is going bad, when beef is going bad. You can smell it when a marriage is going bad. 
I mean, you can smell it when a job is going bad or a situation is going bad. It has fragrance. Entropy has fragrance. And I really believe that's why the olfactory sense in the human body is the, the most data-intensive system is because there's a lot of things that God wants us to smell. And right now, Jesus wants Mary and Martha to smell the entropy. You know, wake up and smell the coffee. Jesus is like, wake up and smell the entropy. Jesus didn't want to avoid the odor. He wanted them to smell it. In fact, I, you, you can add it into future biblical commentators. I believe that Jesus waited the extra two days, not only for him to die, but so that he would stink. We need two more days to let this thing stink really good. Hmm. So why would God let America go one month, two months, three months, six months, almost 12 months, in the chaotic, fearful disorder that it currently is, not only medically, but socially, politically, atmospherically, environmentally, why would a loving God wait two more days on America? Because he wants us to know it stinks. It stinks. There's a lot of things going on in our lives. There's a lot of things going on in the world that Jesus wants us to wake up and smell the entropy. We do, what do we do when we, we throw stuff out of the refrigerator? You know, I, I love it now. There's that commercial about the aunts visiting your house. Expired, expired. You know, she's looking at all the dates in the refrigerator, expired. Well, what did we do before we had expiration dates? We had smell. You'd pull something out of the refrigerator and your, your grandmother would go, all right, the fish is gone. It's bad. You know, and she, would, she would just be able to tell but here's the thing, we don't throw things away until they stink. I put things in my garage and I'll keep them in there and then finally I'll walk down there one day and, and then do that chase the smell around the garage and then find out, oh, you're right, we had three cats, you know? It's like, I, that's, where, that's where Cabby went, you know? Sorry, Deanna, sorry, that's not where Cabby went. He's in heaven, he's in heaven, he's in heaven, he's in heaven. But, you know, you begin to, it, we don't respond until things stink. I mean, that's just the way that we do things. That's when we get there. See, in America, we need to smell it before we are willing to embrace something else. We really are. We, we, God's letting us smell what's been going on in America for years. The decline, the entropy, politically, socially, religiously. I mean, spiritually, what's been going on. It's like, well, no, no, it's, you know, we can deal with, we can live with a little bit of abortion and we can live with a little bit of this uh, sexual confusion over here and we can live a little bit of the disintegration of the American family. We can live a little bit with addiction and, and, and all this. Other. We can live with, with a little bit of pornography on Netflix and we can live with a little bit of this, this you know, crazy stuff. And God says, wow, you guys don't smell anymore. So I'll let it stink. 
it stinks right now. And I'm going to tell you this. In six months, it's going to stink even more. I'm not, trying to be a, I'm not trying to be a bad guy here. Because remember, Jesus was glad that it stank. Why? Because God had a better plan than entropy. God loves America. No, 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 no. no. I'm sorry. Just, we'll even erase that. God loves his people so much that he's willing to let the world around them stink so that they will get back on track with him. It's, it's a gift from God. If you can't smell the entropy, well, then maybe you can hear it because entropy has a frequency also. It's really cool. I mean, nobody sees a bad washing machine. We hear a bad washing machine. A clanking CV joint. We hear a CV joint. Dying stars rotating. You know what they do? They wobble. And when it wobbles, it produces a frequency that we pick up with our electronic telescopes. And we can tell that a star is dying based upon the frequency of its wobble. You know where else we hear a frequency of things wobbling and about to fall apart? Marriage. Complaining. Gossiping. Rioting. See, most of the rioting that's happening in America is not about racial inequality. I mean, there is good protest that needs to happen for racial inequality, absolutely. But we all know that's not what's going on. What are we hearing? We're hearing the frequency of entropy. And today it's them rioting. After the election, it will be a whole different group of rioting. It'll be the losers, whether Republican or Democrat. Some of us in this room are ready, are ready to riot. We are armed with ammunition and guns because we're ready to, we're ready to riot. Wow. See, we don't want the stone moved away because if we move the stone away, then we'll have to get involved. We don't want the stone moved away in America because then we'll have to face how bad it really is. We just want to let it lay. You know, if you just don't stir up that asbestos behind the wall, you can live in a house that is, has a perimeter of cancer as long as you don't disturb the walls. As long as you don't take off that siding that they put on in 1977, I lived in that house. The man who put the siding on my house died five years later from the asbestos. But as long as you don't disturb the asbestos, you'll just keep on living. That's what we are in America. We're surrounded by asbestos, and we're happy to live there. Don't move it, Jesus. Don't move the stone. If you can't smell the entropy, then maybe start listening. I can listen to how a couple talks to each other and can tell you what the level of entropy is. Man, just... Give me five minutes sitting down with you and watch how you conduct that conversation. And, you know, the nervousness, the looks, the, you know, the rolling of the eyes, the body language, and all that other stuff. It's like, wow, there's some serious entropy in this marriage. Now, let me just say this. It is not Jesus' intention to rub our nose in the frailty of humanity. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not rubbing their noses in the death of Lazarus. 
He's not doing it to us either. He wants to direct us to be a part of a building and building something better with the power of divine intentionality. He wants just you and I to realize, you know, after four days, it's going to stink. After three years, you're going to not like her as much. After seven years, you're going to get an itch. After about 20 years, you're not even sure you like them anymore. Entropy happens to everything. If you're not divinely, intentionally building a marriage, your marriage is falling apart. What do you mean it's falling apart? I'm not cheating on her. No, no. Everything in the universe, let's be scientific, everything in the universe decays. It's the second law of thermodynamics and moves into a state of disorder. If you're just like, well, yeah, but I've been married 30 years. Well, don't believe the lie that time heals all wounds. Scientifically, time disorders all sense of purpose. Get a good atheist to tell you that. He'll be like, dang right, that preacher's right on. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly what time does. And some of us are sitting in marriages that are just collections of time. What does that mean? It means you've had a lot of entropy happening against you. But if you'll divinely, with divine intention, the mind of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, begin to build something different. Something that can withstand, something that can endure, something that will pass over, something that can be new. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, Lazarus, even though Jesus loved him, could not avoid entropy. And neither can any of us. So I know you're taking your statin and you're taking your blood pressure medicine, and you got your 401k, and you're going to the gym, and you got all this other stuff, but Jesus wants us to realize in America, okay? He wants to roll away the stone and say, listen, I need you to smell that apart from me, this is where life ends. Stars give way to it. America can't escape it. Your washing machine can't outlast it. Something divine has to work on it. You know what they did in Jesus' time when they buried a body? They would take the body and they would take fragrances and ointments and they would pour it all over. You know, some of it was religious, an anointing of the dead, okay? Not sure what that does, um, but I get it. It makes people feel good in their hearts. But do you know what it was? It was a way to try to fragrance something that is inevitably going to smell bad. And America is great about facelifting, um, augmenting, warrantying, giving a pill, whatever's necessary. And I'm here to tell you, in the next six months, there will be no augmentation that you can make other than God that will help you through the next six months of what you'll experience in America. It's like, are you calling for anarchy and, and the second coming of Christ? No, I, God hasn't told me any of that. <laughs> I know. Anybody else thinking right about now in their lives? I mean, my back hurts. You know, I haven't been to the gym in months. I'm sick and tired of wearing a stupid mask. 
sick and tired of turning on the news and, and hearing somebody say to the President of the United States, will you shut up, man? You know, back in the 50s and 60s, you would never have talked to the, the President of the United States that way. What happened? Entropy. <laughs> back in the 50s and 60s, you wouldn't have been the kind of President of the United States that somebody would have to say, would you shut up, man? What's happening? Entropy. And it's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. And without divine intentionality, it's just going to stink. But divine intentionality invites us to a new fragrance, a new kingdom, a new hope. Paul said, even though the outward man is decaying, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. Divine intentionality is using God's thinking, actions, and empowerment to prepare for the restoration of our lives before the moment arrives. Say, well, Paul, what do I do? What do I do? Well, the preppers will tell you, buy a bunch of can of beans and, and get yourself some more AR-15 uh, uh, stuff and all that other stuff. And it's like, are you going to be prepared? No, you're going to be in your bunker scared to death. Welcome to life. You'll be the only one that smells you stink, but you'll still stink. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, God wants to give us the same power that rose Christ from the dead, that he will quicken our mortal bodies. I am here in front of you as a living example. I live in pain every single day of my life with a spinal injury that nobody can fix. And every day I grieve over the lack of sports. I grieve over my pain. Every day I'm tempted to reach for narcotics. Every day I wish I could get high to make the pain go away. Every day I face the disappointment why God has not healed me. But I will tell you every day over the last six months, I have been renewed day by day in the inward man. I am more alive today that I have ever been in my life, though outwardly entropy, entropy is winning the day. Okay, it may win the day, but it will not win my life because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Folks, do we believe this Bible? I mean, or did we just use it to kind of get us our American thing? God is calling us back to divine intentionality. God calls us to invite his spirit and his word into situations with the fragrance of death. You got a marriage that's got a fragrance of death? You know if it does. You know if it stinks. Um, invite the spirit of God into it. God wants to bring the sound, the frequency of hope, where only the frequency of despair is heard. God wants America to hear the frequency of hope, but it's not coming from the White House. I think we all know that. The Calvary is not coming, but Calvary has already been accomplished. And it's time for us to get back to putting our hope in God. So don't be afraid of the smell of entropy. God wants you to smell it. He doesn't want you to be afraid of it. He wants you to smell the stink. I mean, that's really his, his love. Is sometimes, you know, you, sometimes you got to kick a kid out of the house. Or otherwise you're going to end up with a 50-year-old man who doesn't want to have a job playing Nintendo for the rest of his life. I hope I didn't describe anybody's home. But, 
But there's sometimes when you gotta, you gotta make it stink. You gotta sour the milk. Don't be afraid of the smell of entropy. Rather, it's an invitation to join with God. The Apostle Paul begged God three times to take away the entropy of his life. He begged him, I mean, just God, please make me feel better. I don't know what was wrong with his body, what was wrong with his life, what was the anthropic principle, but he said, I entreated the Lord three times that he would take this away from me. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and the Lord said to me, Paul, Paul then and Paul now, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in the midst of entropy, weakness. So Paul thought about it for a second and he said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul was like, so wait a minute, you're saying if we figure out our weakness, if we smell the stink, that's the best way to move forward? Absolutely. So Paul says, then roll away the stone on my life. Let the stink come out. Because when I am weak, he is strong. Smell the weakness, hear the weakness, and then welcome God into your weakness of your marriage. Welcome God into the weakness of your finances. Welcome God into the weaknesses of your back injury. Welcome God into the weakness of our country. God wants us to smell it so that we'll want something better, something that does not expire. So as we move forward into this moment of expressions, I want to read over you a couple of verses that affirm everything that I've been saying today so that you don't think it was me that was saying it that these words will affirm the reality that God wants all of us to walk in. And allow the divine intentionality in the face of entropy to begin to have a fragrance. My marriage has a fragrance and it's good. Even in the middle of my back injury, and I don't know what's gonna go on with it, and, but in the middle of it, if I'll just stop I can, I can smell the fragrance and the aroma of God in my life. I smell the fragrance of God in this church. I really do. I'm telling you, I'm smelling God here. We're not playing. You don't sit still and listen to a message like this and play church. Bouncy Castle Church is all over. It's done. That will get you nowhere. And I love Bouncy Castle Church. But you know what? We need to smell something else so that we can be the best that God has called us to be. So let me read these verses over you. 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things 
past or are passing away. Behold, new things have come and are implementing themselves in our lives. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth and America and our way of life will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Revelations 21, 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death, no entropy. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things will have passed away. Jesus is calling to every one of us to come forth out of the entropy of our lives come forth to be unbound by his grace and his word and his spirit to communicate the love, the power and the strength and the truth of God to a world that if it's not already hurting will soon be hurting they're all going to smell it and you're going to be able to bring a new fragrance to their lives but we first got to have it in ours Father as we come into this place, this moment of sobriety, God, you, you kind of gave us the bad news to let us get the good news. God, I pray that you do not let anybody walk out of here depressed, that you will not walk out of this place, let anybody walk out of here hopeless, because if they do, they have allowed themselves to be lied to. Because Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and I am standing right in front of you. Do you believe that, Martha? I do, Lord. Do you? Do you? So let me encourage you, if you're like me, and if you're weak of faith, and your pain in your body makes you feel like a coward at times. If the marriage that you're in is not what you had dreamt about, if your children are in disarray, if you're scared of what's going on in the world around you, there is another fragrance to be smelt today, and that is Jesus, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. It's the power of the resurrection. Let me invite you, as you come and receive communion as we pray, as we sing, ask God to fill you with the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that it would also bring life to your life because that's what he wants to do. He wants to fill you with a spirit that is entropy free with no expiration date. We thank you for